Seven Ways We Please the Devil. That's a funny title, don't you think, uh, for a message in a church, uh, the place that God's family meets for godly, Holy Spirit-inspired guidance and instructions. To me, it's not so much amusing as it is sobering. Because even as bona fide followers of Christ, the fact is this, that, that each night when we go to our bedroom and we lay our head on our pillows, that during that day we've either play, pleased Satan or God. Even though we're God's kids, there's a lot of days that uh, I think we please the enemy more than we do, do our father. As Fyodor Dostoevsky has stated, God and the devil are fighting and the battleground is the human heart. And we, we, we all realize that with the temptations that we face. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, Paul says that this fight is a fight to the finish. It's a fight to the death. And I don't think sometimes we put it in that sentence structure. We don't think of it that way. We float along in life and Unless some catastrophe happens, things are going pretty well. We think everything is the way that it's supposed to be. But underneath, there's a fight going on. If we could see into the spiritual realm or this other dimension, you would see angels and demons in this place. And even as we gather for an hour or so as the body of Christ, there is this battle that's ensuing all around us that we can't see. And that, that, that's dealing with the spiritual world. Paul says this in Peterson's The Message. And that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, weapons that we read about in here and are promised to us, and put them to use so that you, you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's Word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. You and I, friends, are in this fight. I like the way he puts that. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. It's for keeps. It's a life and a death struggle. It's a life and a death struggle in the sense between our old nature and the new nature. It's a life and death struggle for those that we love that don't know Christ. We, we, do, we wage war against the devil over their souls because everybody that we know and love, we, we want them to be in heaven with us. But some might not make that because they've not made that choice. But nonetheless, we're at war in, on different fronts if if that makes any more sense. In all honesty, there are some days we seem to lose. I'm not pessimistic, but I'm trying to live in reality, especially in the spiritual realm, because sometimes you and I do things that we hate. 
We hate them, but we go ahead and do them anyhow. And then we look back and say, why did I do that? And sometimes we get confused and begin to hate ourselves for the things we've done. Ever have major regrets because of your wrong choices due to sin and the scars that it leaves on you? Man, who in here? I don't care what age. If you could just go back and change a few things. But we know that we can't do that, but we can't wallow in it either. There's a world of difference between walking in the light while confessing our sins and letting our sins define our identity. 1 John 1, 7 through 10. But if we are living in, living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, then we have fellowship with each other. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses, from, cleanses us from every sin. If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his love has no place in our hearts. Hopefully, we walk in the light, and when we sin, we confess it immediately and asking God's direction and help not to keep repeating whatever that certain thing is. While it is appropriate to mourn our sins, Matthew 5, 4 says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It is not appropriate to hate ourselves. In the heat of the moment of regret and shame, we can almost think that self-loathing is good, right, and biblical. After all, we have offended a holy God and become unclean. But in truth, God never calls us to hate ourselves ever. The truth is that God loves us. For John 3.16, for God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son. First John 4.10 says, this is real love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And the only one who loves our self-loathing is Satan. He delights and he revels in it. If he can get you to hate yourself, he is in heaven, in a sense, in his mind. Self-loathing is hating yourself. It's when you are convinced deep down inside that the world would be a better place if you was wiped off the face of the earth and didn't exist. It's when you believe that you are defective and should never have been released from the factory. Self-loathing is a feeling that everybody in the world is better than you are and that you've ruined your own life and don't deserve to be happy. And it goes deeper. The deeper we sink into self-loathing and self-hating, Satan comes up with new ideas and new thoughts to put in your ears and your heart. And one of the major ones is, you should kill yourself. Your family, this world would be a much better place if you just ended it, wiped yourself out. And sad to say, there are some folks that buy into that philosophy. The cartoon picture of a person a setting in, in a great moment of decision. On one shoulder sits an angel. On the other shoulder sits the devil. Only in all reality, it's the Holy Spirit and Satan. I had a mom one time after her son had committed suicide. She said, Pastor, where was God? In that moment of decision, before my son pulled that trigger, where was God? 
I said he was right there trying to talk him out of it. That's where God was at. And see, this brings me to the point. It's why I believe in free moral agency, that you and I have choice. We had a choice. That young man had a choice. We all have a choice that when we are in that situation, we have a choice on what to do. Why does Satan love self-loathing? Here's seven reasons, seven ways we can please the devil. The first one is this. Because when I loathe myself, I loathe someone created in the image of God. The imago Dei. In the, in, in the Latin, it's, it's the image of God. Proverbs 17.5 says, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. James writes that the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James 3, 8 through 10. We're talking about reasons Satan loves self-loathing when we hate ourselves. What do I say about people? I say about God. If I say something about you, you were created in the image of God. So in, indirectly, I am assaulting and insulting God the Father. This is true whether I am demeaning other humans or myself. Even inward self-loathing insults my maker in whose image I was created. I, I don't, and I've always said this before, if, if we could just see each other the way, way God sees us, that it would, it would change us. Number two, because it diminishes my joy, and Satan loves this. Even in the middle of a theological controversy, you can almost hear the joy in Paul's voice when he reminds himself of the gospel and what that means to him. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I forget that the heart of the gospel is that God, the Son of God, loved me and gave himself on, only for me, and to remember that I am worthy of being hated rather than loved, I will lose the joy of the gospel itself. God loves me. Can you say that with me? God loves me. D don't forget that. If you don't take anything else away from here, and when, the tough, when it gets tough going, say that. Yeah, because it's true. It's an absolute. Third reason that pleases Satan when we hate ourselves, because it diminishes the work of grace that God has done in my life. Making myself an object of contempt makes more of the sin that once defined me than the grace of God which has recreated me. Remember in Christ that we are new creations. The past is gone, even though we like to bring it up, and even though people like to parade those skeletons before. So like I said, everybody's got a closet with skeletons in it. I don't care who you are. God wants to close that and seal it up. Satan wants to open it up and pray them skeletons in front of everybody. That, I love small communities, but that's one of the downsides of a small community. You mess up once or twice. That's never erased from people's minds. And I don't care how you achieve things and how to, to what greatness you rise above that, there will be somebody that will drag that skeleton out of that closet someday and pray to that. That is Satan. That's what he does. He's an expert at it. Paul writes of sinners who are defined by their sin outside of grace and then adds, and such 
were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He said, the blood of Christ has cleansed you. Your sins are gone. They're the past. God's buried them in the deepest part of the ocean and put up a no fishing sign. So you are clean before God. When God sees you, he doesn't see that sin because Christ has taken that from you. He sees a clean you. God says, you're set apart. I have sanctified you. My hand is upon you. My imprint is in you. You are set apart. You are special. You are my child. I have gifted you. I loved you. And you have been made right in my eyes. What an amazing passage of Scripture. Was sanctified and justified. And here's the thing that, that, that it's hard for us to get beyond. What I once was, I am not now. I am not that same person. My sins do not define me. My reconciliation with God does. Hating myself makes little of that and gives Satan joy. Fourth way that pleases the devil when I hate myself because it discourages those who see grace in me. I think we forget that. We are enlightenment to some people. We are a witness We are somebody that God has come in and changed. And sometimes we don't see it as much as other people. We're not the same person that we used to be. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. Paul describes a seriously messed up church in a seriously surprising way. He tells them that he sees God's grace active in them. He doesn't deny their sin. He will deal with it strongly later in his letter, but he also doesn't hate them for it. On the contrary... Because he has seen grace in them, he is encouraged by them, loves them, and longs to see them grow. The reality is that no matter how badly I'm doing, there are those around who love me, who see God's grace in me, and they are encouraged by that. If I continually dwell and make them dwell on the sin in me, I will only discourage them and deprive them of a chance to give thanks to God for what he's done in my life. And Satan is pleased when we discourage one another tremendously. He is pleased when we badmouth each other. He is pleased when we gossip about each other. It's been said of the church in a derogatory way that the church is the only organization in the world that shoots their wounded. You mess up once or twice, in some places you're out the door. I believe in church discipline. I believe that if a member of the church is out of line, somebody goes to him and and tries to bring him back to where he needs to be. And if that doesn't work, you take a couple of people. And then if that doesn't work, you say, well, you know what? If you're going to continue to live this lifestyle, we're going to have a problem because you're a member of this church and you represent this church. When you're out in the world, you're crossroads. You're not just yourself. You belong to Christ and you are part of of Christ's body. And that is, uh, I tell maybe too many stories about myself, but in this vein, when we build our witness up, if we do something to destroy that, it takes forever almost to get it back. When I was working on the railroad on the track department, I was trying to make the switch from heathen to <laughs> somewhat follower of Christ. And so you, you make a stand, and 
the first time you make that stand, it is really difficult to say, I'm not, I'm not going to get drunk with you guys anymore. And of course, they harass you and on and on and on. One night in Effingham, Illinois, we were down there on a, on a tie gang, and uh, we were staying in camp cars. And the guys got ready to go to bars, and I, I had my Bible, and I was going to go to Bible study. Well, long story short, I didn't go to Bible study. I ended up in the bar with those guys and drank way too much beer. Destroyed. Destroyed. Literally destroyed that witness. You can't get... You can't get that back with some people. Satan was so happy with me that I can't begin to tell you his joy. This is the point that I don't think we understand the responsibility that God has placed on us to be his kids in this world. Fifth reason Satan loves self-loathing, because it hinders true relationship when I withdraw. From the very first sin, we see that Satan's tactics result in us withdrawing from good and godly relationships. Genesis, Genesis 3, 7, and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They withdrew from each other. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They tried to withdraw from God. They went and they hid. But God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. You can't hide from God. But they thought that they could. When I self-loathe, I'm giving influence to shame. And shame isolates. And in isolation, further sin thrives, which gives pleasure to our enemy. If I'm in shame and I isolate myself, in this isolation, I'm drawn closer, I'm, I'm drawn closer to this mud hole, this pigsty where I came from. And because I'm alone, there's nobody going to say, hey, you probably shouldn't get back in that mud. So we, we sink, we go in and we sink, sink deeper, and sometimes it's almost like quicksand to try to get out of it. Satan loves to separate us. He has more power over us when he gets us alone, and he separates us from the herd, so to speak. It's like lions when they hunt in groups. They're called prides. They look for the weak, the sick, and the young, especially when they stray away from the rest of the herd. Then they attack, and they kill, and they devour. Remember Peter's dire warning in 1 Peter 5.8. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. And who in here, if we started showing our spiritual bodies, doesn't have scars, lion bites? I got them all over me, from claws and the teeth. And if they're not in this spiritual body sense, they are on our hearts, they are on our conscience, and they're on our souls almost. Because you and I have done some tremendous damage in our lives. Maybe not all of you. Many of us have. It's never going to, you're never going to get free from it. Regardless of it's in your family, in your city, it doesn't matter. There are things that we have done that will never outgrow, so to speak. God forgives them, and he wipes them off the slate. 
People that love us sometimes even and people that like to gossip, they, they bring those out and they can't stand it, that you've made a change, that you've gotten better. No, Satan likes to keep us alone. That's why I incessantly yammer about how much we need each other in the body of Christ. That's why I always encourage you to get connected with your brothers and sisters in Christ more than just on Sunday mornings, to join a study, a group, a huddle, do life together, join one or start one. We need to encourage one another, pray for one another, empathize with each other, help each other, hold each other accountable, and help each other grow in Christ. So please pray about that. That was a great clip by John Piper. Satan is pleased when we isolate ourselves from Christ's body, the church. Satan is pleased when I'm self-loathing, number six, because it distracts me from true humility. True humility, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, is entirely grounded in an others-oriented worldview. Self-loathing, ironically, makes much of me. How I feel about myself becomes central. It's the all-determining point of reality because it's all about me. I am in the center of my universe. Nobody else is in there but me. And everything that happens, it, re- it revolves around me. It's one of the reasons Satan loves self-loathing. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. It is no wonder Satan loves self-loathing. Self-loathing is the opposite of godly humility. And then the last reason, seventh reason Satan loves it when I hate myself because it makes me think that the answer is to love myself more. It would make sense loving myself more is the answer to hating myself, but it's not. The answer is not to make little of my sin, but to make much of it. To see that it was my sin that caused Jesus to suffer and die. And sometimes on the screen, I'll use pictures from Gibson's movie, uh, The Passion of Christ. I'd say of all the pictures I've ever seen painted or drawn or even in the movies, I think this comes closer to what Christ really looked like than any other. And you know what? When I see those pictures, I don't see your sin. I see mine. And I, I think maybe that is the way that it's supposed to be. But I don't stop there. The answer doesn't end with a Savior who suffers, but with a Savior who says it is finished as he dies and proves it when he rises. It ends with us meditating on the truth that greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. He called us friends. He died for us. I don't need to convince myself to love me. I just need to remember that because God so loved the world, he gave his son. I am loved. Can you say that this morning? I am loved by God, the maker of all life. The great I am who has each one of our hearts, beating hearts in his hand, beating. And when he so chooses, he can stop that and take us home. That's the power that God has. But it's our choice whether we really want that in our life, but we need to write that on our hearts that I am loved. And no matter how much Satan hates that truth, it is where I'm called to live. I am not called to live if this rug was my past and in my life and all my regrets and all the mistakes I've made and all the sins that I've committed. I don't want to live over here. (laughs) I want to live on this rug. This is God's love. This is where I want to live. Now, sometimes I step off of it, but, but, but 
God, a lot of times, will bring me back before I, I get back in that mud, so to speak. I want to live here, and that's where we need to live, my friends. Putting him above ourselves and brings inner healing to our lives. So it comes down to the question, how do we please God and not the devil? Our text gives us the answer. I, Peterson did such a great job in translating this. I love the New Living Translation, and I usually preach from that, but this made a lot of sense to me this morning. And that about wraps it up. God is strong, and he wants you to be strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials. If you read the, the armor of God in Ephesians as well, it will tell you exactly what those well-made weapons are. And put them to use so that you'll be able to stand up against everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life and death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Prayer is essential for every area of our lives. This morning as we bring this to a close, if you need prayed with, you need prayer, you need to know how to accept Christ, you come right up because that's our major function in this place. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being real in our lives and appreciate all the things you do for us. And Lord, if just for an instant that we could see ourselves in your eyes and see how much you love us and how much you care for us and how much you want us to live lives full of joy and not turmoil or anger or anguish, but peace in you. And you've given us that opportunity, but we're the ones that have to grasp onto it. So right now, Father, I pray as you, Holy Spirit, speaks to hearts that we're just obedient. Whatever that thing might be in our lives that we need to deal with, or maybe we don't like ourselves so much. So in this moment, just let all these people that I love, and I know you love them, Lord, just let them feel that love. We ask these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.